Victor Hugo was born in 1802. He would die in 1885 in his beloved Paris, France. It has been said that he was the greatest thinker that France produced during that 19th century. He certainly is one of the greatest authors that they have ever produced. He was an amazing man, a deep thinker. But he was more than just an author and a great thinker. He was also a political activist. He was someone who was concerned about the poor, about the hungry. He was always standing up for human rights. He had a number of events that happened early on in his life that had a very profound impact upon him. When he was a young person, one day he was walking through the streets of Paris. And walking through the streets of Paris, there he saw a person who was being arrested for being a bread thief. Someone had stolen a loaf of bread. And now they were being arrested and he knew they would be sent to prison. And what really struck him was with this person being arrested, right over here was a beautiful carriage with a duchess and a child. And they were totally unmoved. There was no sense of sympathy, no compassion. They who had so much and lacked nothing, and they who had so little and were starving to death. Something seemed so wrong. He wondered, I, I wonder if this man has a family, if he has children he's trying to feed. It haunted him. As time went on, Victor Hugo had a friend a friend who also grew up in dire poverty and got into stealing and was arrested and put into prison. And when he got out, no one wanted anything to do with him. But he managed to work hard. He built a business. He built a factory. And in the end, he did very well financially. And he was doing so well financially, he got very involved in the community, in social outreach, acts of altruism. He became a person who blessed a lot of lives. And then one day at his factory, a cart fell and fell on some of his employees. And he was the first one there with great strength to lift it up so those employees could be freed. Then it was in 1841. It was winter. He was walking through the streets of Paris and he saw a prostitute being propositioned by a man. She rejected him. And he became angry and grabbed snow and stuffed it down her dress and then hit her. She turned around and she swung back at him. And when she did, he began to holler for the police that he was being accosted by this woman. The police came and they were preparing to arrest her. By now, Victor Hugo had become something of a celebrity. And when he saw what was happening, he went to the place and spoke to the police and said, that's not the story at all. This woman is innocent. And so in the end, they turned the woman loose. But as she walked away, all he could think about was, I wonder about her life. In this world that we have right now, what else can she do? I wonder if she has children she's trying to take care of. It was all of these events that were going on in his mind when finally in 1845, he sat down and he began to write his book, Les Miserables, a historical novel talking about the social struggles of France in his day. And as you know, he created a character, Jean Valjean, a man who was put into prison for stealing a loaf of bread. Five years in prison, and then he got 19 years in prison, because he, 14 more years, because he tried to run away. A man who, when he finally got out of prison, was given a yellow card and given a number, 24601. That's who you will be forever. 
Everyone shunned him. No one wanted anything to do with him. He couldn't find a job. He couldn't find a place to stay. He couldn't find anything to eat. What do you think is going to happen? He showed up at the bishop's house and the bishop invited him in. The bishop brought him in and gave him a place by the fire to warm himself, gave him food to eat and a bed to sleep in. But that night while he was sleeping, he thinks about his hopeless situation and he sees the sterling silver there with the bishop and decides to seize the moment, steal that silver, put it in a bag and run out of the house. But it's not too long until he runs into some police who want to inspect him and they see what he has in the bag and they know he doesn't have silver, he's stolen it. They bring him back to the bishop and when they bring him back to the bishop, they throw him down and said, we found this, he stole this from you. (laughs) He even told us that you gave it to him. And that's the critical moment in the whole, whole book. Because in that moment that the bishop looks at him and with a word, he is back to prison, put on the rack, It will be the rest of his life. And it's in that moment that the bishop makes a decision and says, well, he's spoken to you true. I did give him those things. But looking at Valjean, he says, you left in a hurry. You left the best behind. And he gets two silver candlesticks and he gives them to him. And then he utters those very famous words. But remember this, my brother. See in this some higher plan. You must use this precious silver to become an honest man. By the witness of the martyrs, by the passion and the blood, God has raised you out of darkness, and I have bought your soul for God. He creates the character of Jean Valjean, the story about forgiveness, grace, and what do you do with it? And then, of course, he created the character Fantine, Certainly after the woman, a woman who was in love and she found herself pregnant. The young man thought it a summertime fleeing and he was gone. And now she was with a baby on her own to go to work in a factory doing what women could do. Jealousies break out. She is thrown out of the factory into the streets. Where do you turn? She was trying to raise money to make sure her child was fed and cared for. She turns to prostitution Before long, she is sick and she dies. Before she dies, she is visiting with Jean Valjean who owned the factory where she had been working and he decides to take her daughter Cosette into his keeping. He creates the character Javert. Javert, well, that's the law. Javert believes in black and white, good and bad, right and wrong. There is no gray in life. Either you are good and you follow the law or you are a criminal and you always will be. He does not believe that people can change or that there is some goodness in all people. Either you're good or you're bad and that's the way you will be. And so it was he creates this story for us about this human condition and the way that there's so many people coming together in these struggles. And I thought it was interesting when Victor Hugo had the book finished he made this statement. I don't know whether it will be read by everyone, but it is meant for everyone. It addresses England as well as Spain, Italy as well as France, Germany as well as Ireland, the republics that harbor slaves as well as empires that have serfs. Social problems go beyond frontiers. Humankind's wounds, 
They do not stop at the blue and red lines drawn on maps. Wherever men go in ignorance or despair, wherever women sell themselves for bread, wherever children lack a book to learn from or a warm hearth, Les Miserables knocks at the door and says, Open up. I am here for you. A story, but what does it mean to feel hopeless and experience grace? Forgiveness. The opportunity to do it different. What does it mean to be experiencing God's grace and to hear the beat of a distant drum? Calling our hearts to a sense of compassion and to care. That's what the story was about. And it's really what our scripture lesson was about this morning. This very famous passage of the Apostle Paul, who at this point is known as Saul. Saul, who is the Pharisee of Pharisees. Saul, who is the person who lives with the right. The right, good and bad, right and wrong. No, he is living in the spirit of Javert. The one who believes that if you don't follow the law and live exactly as I think you should be living, well, then you are wrong and you deserve to be persecuted. It is Saul who will stand while Stephen is stoned and hold the coats of those who kill him, consenting to Stephen's death. He's tearing up homes. He's tearing up churches. There is no sense of compassion in him. It's the spirit of Javert. And so he moves on the road to Damascus. He has gotten orders from Rome to persecute the church there in Damascus. And along the way, a light from heaven knocks him off his horse into the dirt and blinds him. And I love the way Luke says it. His eyes were open, but he could not see. Now understand, when Luke writes about this passage... He isn't just writing to tell us what happened to Saul. No, he's writing to the early church. And he's trying to write to the early church and say, this isn't Saul's story, this is your story, this is my story. We are the people whose eyes are open and we do not see. It is so easy to be blind to the suffering around us. It is so easy to be mean and hard-hearted and calloused. Our eyes are open and we do not see. We stand in the need of grace. It's our story. This morning, I want to continue on with this sermon series, St. Luke's on Broadway. You know, we we love the arts here at St. Luke's. And we were thinking about how this was our 125th anniversary. We started on the first Sunday after the land run, 1889. And we first started on 3rd and Broadway. And knowing our love for the arts, we started thinking about all the wonderful shows on Broadway in New York. And we thought, why not look at all these themes and issues that have been described in wonderful pieces of literature and works of art and plays and think about what have been illuminated. What's the gospel that's been proclaimed for 125 years, starting with St. Luke's on Broadway. So today, we look at Les Miserables. It turned out it took Victor Hugo 17 years to write the book. It started in 1945. It was published in 1862. Started in 1845, published in 1862, 17 years. The name means the miserables, the the poor, um, the wretched. And when it first came out, it was really panned by the critics. But people bought it. 
People everywhere bought it and they loved the story. It moved their hearts. Not just in France, as he said, but it was everybody's story, not just the French's story, everyone's story. Remember what was going on in our country in 1862? The Civil War. It was said you could find a copy of Les Miserables in the backpack of every soldier. People everywhere were reading it. It was so common that people sometimes referred to the Confederates as Lee's Miserables. Took you a while to get that one. Lee's Miserables. Yeah, you know, they all had a copy of Les Miserables they were reading through. No, it wound up being popular for the next 120 years. It was an incredible book. It's considered one of the greatest novels ever written. It's only 1,900 pages in French and 1,500 pages in English. It's an incredible novel. But as it went on, it was finally in late 1978 that a Frenchman, Alan Bubel, went from France over to the West End in London, the theater district. And he was there and went and attended the play Oliver. And as he's sitting there watching Oliver, he suddenly has this inspiration. Wow, I, I could see Fantine on stage. I could see Cosette singing. I could see Jean Valjean, Javert. All these characters begin to see in his mind that, yes, I could bring Les Miserables to stage and singing. He went home. They collaborated. Two years later, the musical of Les Miserables opened for the first time there on stage in France. It did very well, but it was the people back in England, back at the West End, who said, we want this translated in English. We want it here for our stage. And so they set to work on it, and in 1985... Les Miserables opened at West End in London. Again, when the critics saw it, oh my goodness, this is the worst show ever produced. It is so shallow. It is so synthetic. It will never last. Oh, they said horrible things about it. But the people voted with their feet, and it was sellout after sellout after sellout. It opened in 1985. It's been running continuously now for 29 years at West End in London. It is the second longest running musical in history. It was doing so well in 1985 that we looked across the pond and we wanted it to open on Broadway and so it came to Broadway in New York in 1987 and we opened our own production here. Little changes kept being made and again it went to sell out crowds. Huge success. 13 Tony nominations and so it was in 2012 it was decided to make it into a movie. And we got together and made it into a movie, and now it garnered 12 Academy Award nominations. It has been phenomenal for 150 years. Why? It really does speak to the human condition, to all of us. It's all of our story, not just French or English or German or American. It speaks to our hearts. And I think there's something so important it says. Two things I want us to think about this morning. First of all, it really is a story about forgiveness, about God's grace, about redemption. It's about repentance. You know, the word repentance literally means to turn, to go a different direction. When Saul was on his way traveling to Tarsus, he was breathing fire and murder, Luke tells us. And as he goes, he is knocked off his horse by a blinding light. His eyes are open, but he cannot see. 
he is taken into Damascus until Ananias comes along and lays his hands on Saul. And again, I like the way Luke says it. Scales fell from his eyes. Now, that's not literal. Again, Luke is writing for the early church. He's writing for you and me, our story. He's trying to say, when you are confronted with the grace of Christ, scales fall from your eyes. You open your eyes and you begin to see your need of standing in the need of forgiveness, of God's grace. That you can be forgiven and experience God's grace and you get the opportunity to do it different, to turn. You see, for Saul, that's all that this was, an opportunity. He had done all of these horrible things. He was living in such a mean, hurtful spirit. What he was given was an opportunity. That's what God's grace is. Do you want to turn and now try to live a life differently? The way God would call you to live your life. That was the key part for Jean Valjean in Les Miserables. Before the bishop, this is your moment. You've been given grace. I have saved your soul from going back to prison. But what do you do with it? That really is up to you. You get the forgiveness, the grace. What do you do with it? What's the life you choose to lead? Some of you will recognize the name Colin Wilkinson, an amazing man, great singer, tenor. It turned out when he was growing up, um, his father was a, had an asphalt company. His mom was from Ireland, and she was a great singer. That's where they were living. And he was growing up, and he loved to sing and loved to write songs with his mom. But in the end, as he went through the years, it says his desire for academics decreased as his desire for music increased. And by the time he was 15 years old, they said he was incorrigible in school, always getting into trouble, only singing and acting, and so they threw him out of school. And when he got thrown out of school, then his father offered him an alternative to school. He could work on the asphalt company. I've always said the best way to encourage kids to get an education, give them a real job. Working there in the asphalt company, he did it for five years, but thought, you know, this really isn't for me. And what he decided to do, though, was not go back to school, but to form a band and sing and travel. His parents weren't happy. He was barely kind of making it along, but he was singing there throughout England. And then suddenly he had an opportunity. There was a show opening in Dublin, Dublin, Ireland, and it was Jesus Christ Superstar. And he tried out for the part and got the part of Judas. It gave him some singing and acting on stage experience. Not a lot, but some. And then when that was over, he went back to singing and trying to look around. Maybe I ought to get into this acting business. And it was in the, late eight, or in the middle 18, uh, 1980s that they were having auditions for a new show at West End called Les Miserables. And Colin Wilkinson went and tried out for the part of Jean Valjean. Well, it turned out it was written for a baritone. He was a tenor. And so he didn't even know what the story was about. But he went and he auditioned, and when he started to sing, he began jumping octaves. And the people who were doing the audition said, it sounded like the voice of God. We knew this was the man. He suddenly was giving the part of Jean Valjean. He opened there in West End. It would run for the next couple of years. 
It was incredible, the success of the show and this character that he created. So much so, when it jumped to New York, to Broadway, he came and was Jean Valjean on Broadway here in New York as well. He's played the part for hundreds and hundreds of performances in front of thousands upon thousands of people. He is Jean Valjean in creating this character. He was being interviewed and they asked him, why do you think this show has lasted so long? Why do so many people keep coming to the show? And Colin said, well, it's not because it's a barrel of laughs. But he said, we still have the haves and have-nots, poverty and degradation, and people protesting in the streets. It's very spiritual. It's about sin and redemption and conquering adversity. I think there's a real hunger for that. It is about sin and redemption and the opportunity to turn and try again. When they got ready to make the movie in 2012, Colm Wilkerson was 68 years old. Too old to play Jean Valjean again. No, they turned to Hugh Jackman, who did a pretty good job. But they somehow wanted to recognize the original Jean Valjean. They felt that was so important. And so they talked to Colm and said, we want to give you a part in the show. Would you be the bishop? And so he became the bishop in the movie. And when he came to the set for the filming, he said, I was so overwhelmed with the incredible reception and the kindness that everybody was showing to me. And he went off with Hugh Jackman and he said, look, if there's anything I can do to help you. And Hugh said, well, there is. I mean, I've been struggling with these two different places. Now, how did you? And Colm said, wait a minute. When I created the part of Jean Valjean, I didn't play it the way it was written. I had to do it my way in a way that was authentic to me. And so I didn't do it exactly as they had written it for this Broadway play. I did it my way. But now, you get to do it in a movie. It's going to be different. You don't need to be me. You need to find your song. Do it your way. And Hugh Jackman said, you don't know how freeing that was to have Jean Valjean tell you, do it your way. It's your turn now. Combs said, when they actually were on stage, they were going to film this, and, and it was his opportunity now to be the bishop. He said it was such a moving time when he took those candlesticks and he went to give them to Jean Valjean. And he said, all I could think about was how I had been given an incredible opportunity so many years ago that changed my life. And this felt so symbolic to give these candlesticks to him because it was saying, my time is done. It's your turn. Find your song. That's what God does for us. The gift of forgiveness. The gift of redemption. The opportunity to repent. That is to turn, to go a different direction. So that you become you. The person God created you to be. That's God's gift to you. It was God's gift to Saul on the road to Damascus. It's the gift to Jean Valjean. It is the gift to you and to me. Secondly, I believe whenever you and I experience this gift of God's grace, 
that we know what it means to be loved. It opens our eyes so that we see the suffering going on around us. You know, it's interesting. If you see people who feel no need of grace, they feel like, I've made it on my own. I've done well. I live by the law. I'm a righteous person. I'm a good person. I have no need of grace. You usually find people who lack a sense of compassion. They don't see the suffering around them. I'm on my own. I've done it. For Paul, he was someone who was not living by grace. It was by the law. He was so angry, breathing fire and murder, standing by while people were murdered, destroying homes, you name it. But when he came to know God's grace, it says the scales fell from his eyes. It's like he now began to see the suffering and people around him differently. Think about it. As Saul becomes Paul, he takes the opportunity for a new person. And when he does, he spends the rest of his life trying to say, how do we take care of the widow and the orphan and the poor and all people? How do we as the disciples of Jesus live out of a spirit of compassion and love? Paul would say, if I speak with the tongue of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. If I give all that I have to the poor and I give my body to be burned, but I have not love, well, I'm nothing. Love is patient, kind. It's never arrogant or boastful or rude. It's not jealous. It doesn't insist on its own way. Now, Paul would spend the rest of his life having experienced the grace of God for his life, trying to encourage other people to see the suffering around them and to live in a spirit of compassion and love. Some of you will recognize the name of General Lamarck. General Lamarck actually lived um, in the early 1800s. He was a great general for Napoleon Bonaparte. Napoleon loved uh, Lamarck. His name was actually Jean Maximilien Lamarck. What a great name. Bob Long. <laughs> Jean Maximilian Lamarck. I mean, now you know, he was made for greatness. And he was a great general. And Napoleon loved him. And they fought their battles and had great success. And then Napoleon, of course, was deposed, sent into exile. Lamarck managed to stay there in France in the country that he loved so much. He got involved in politics. He got elected to parliament. And when he did, Lamarck had a great passion for people, especially the poor. Though he was wealthy himself, he went out of his way. He, he knew the answer was to help people do better. He came from a place in France called Lands, and he went there and he bought lots of land, and he helped people to farm it and bought new farming equipment. And there he wanted them to learn the latest techniques. How do we increase the yield, the production? When he was there in Parliament, he was always saying, we've got to invest in the economy, invest in the people to help them improve crop production so that people can have bread and everyone can be fed. He would always get angry at people who were there for quick profit-taking. He said, we're not investing in our people. He was kind of like a lone voice crying in the wilderness, trying to say, look at the society in France, how many people who are trapped in this poverty, in these struggles. But he was the voice. But in 1832, crops failed. In 1832, there was high inflation. The economy struggled. No, the poor really suffered. 
And it was then that a cholera epidemic swept across France in 1832 and 18,000 people died in Paris alone, mainly the poor. But one of those who was well known who died was General Lamarck. He succumbed to cholera on June the 1st, 1832. And so a few days later, they decided to have his funeral, a great state funeral. He was certainly a national hero. And they had the carriage drawing his body through the city. And here were all these young students who thought, we've lost our voice in Parliament. No one's going to care about the poor. It's time for a revolution. We need to rise up. And so as they drew the carriage through the streets, the students came and jumped on the carriage. They directed it down another street. They waved their flags and said, come join with us. They gave speeches about the poor and the inequity of what was going on. And they began to build barricades in the streets of Paris. 3,000 students came. But that was all. The people of Paris did not rally behind them. No, 3,000 students came and 30,000 soldiers. The soldiers said, throw down your arms. And they said, no. This is our cause. And so they begin to fire. It turned out that Victor Hugo was living in Paris at that time. And when he heard the shooting, rather than running to where he knew he'd be safe, he ran into the streets of Paris. And as he's running through the streets of Paris to see what was going on, they were building barricades at all these different streets. And he suddenly found himself on the insides of the barricade. And then he slipped back into an alley between two columns as the shooting started to go on and he was listening to the bullets whizzing past for a long time until finally the fight was over. The revolution, it lasted about 24 hours. 800 people were either killed or wounded. It was done. And Victor Hugo looked at what had happened and it just broke his heart. He so sided with these students who wanted to stand up for human rights but the revolution failed. In fact, historians say no one would even remember the rebellion of the summer of 1832 if it had not been for Victor Hugo who would choose to write about it in his book, Les Miserables. And he wrote about it and said, the rebellion failed. The way you change the world, it's not through revolution. It's by God's grace changing lives one at a time. It's when you have someone like Jean Valjean who experiences forgiveness, grace, redemption, and takes the opportunity to turn and do it different. For when you live in God's grace, you start to see things different. A Jean Valjean who would suddenly see a man about to be sentenced to prison in his name? I can't let that happen. A young mother who is dying, who has a child, who's going to be left alone in the world? I will take Cosette as my own and raise her. A young student, Marius, who's wanting to fight for the poor and human rights? I want to be there to save you in those moments. To even Javert, the law, the one who's always judging, to offer forgiveness even to him. No, Victor Hugo was trying to say in writing this book 
the way you change the world is one person at a time who experiences God's grace and chooses to see differently. You see, it was Jean Valjean who discovered when you choose to love another person, you see the face of God. That is the truth. It was the truth for Paul. It is the truth for Jean Valjean. It is the truth for you and me. It is God who offers us the gift of grace, the opportunity to turn, to see others differently. It's how he changes the world, one person at a time, you and me. When you choose to love another person, you see the face of God. It's in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayer.